Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. It's a joy to be in the house of God with you today. And I make appeal again to those watching online. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to the day that if at all possible, you show up and you're with us in service. I say if at all possible because I'm not aware of all the details. But on many weekends, we have more folks watching online and listening to the podcast than we do in person. Now, I wish that were thousands and thousands. It's not. Maybe someday, as the Lord would allow. But to recognize that there are more people listening and participating virtually than there are here presently. We've come to find out where some of those folks are because some have decided, you know what, I want to make an investment in the kingdom of God. What's going on there? Folks go to the website and they give in offerings online. We've got folks that have perhaps never been in this building returning tithe to the kingdom of God because they're watching online. The largest percentage of our podcast listeners are from Sweden. I don't know what that's all about, but if you all ever make it to Seattle, (laughs) we'd love to have you in the house of God. I want us to appreciate those that are here in the building today that this is not just about you and me. I'm so grateful for what I know and experience in this body of Christ. That it's about being able to encourage others and share the gospel and make an impact. Jesus in the neighborhoods. Jesus in our extended families. Jesus in every aspect, in every way possible. Can you say amen? amen? I appreciate your giving online. Predominantly that happens. If you'd like to give in person, we have a basket in the back. You can give on your way out. Thank you for being here today. And you may be seated. I want to speak for a little while today from some passages of Scripture. Chelsea will be going to the Old Testament today. It's not all New Testament preaching. Thank you for talking about purpose. It's a great opportunity. During the Christmas season, we often hear said, wise men still seek him. Have you heard that? I'd like to preach today the wise still fear him the wise still fear him i attended some meetings this week in the midwest and part of those meetings there were a number of presentations and education and training and and then part of those meetings included a a banquet on thursday evening and to open the banquet there was a young man really Uh, quite gifted, and he was able to make some humorous parodies of those who had made presentations through the week. And so he took words from their presentation and emphasized some things and blew it out of proportion, and it was all in fun and kindness, and we laughed together with one another and a little bit at one another. His last parody... His last parody was about his dad, and he took a lot of time setting it up. His dad was in the audience, sitting at a table right in front of him. 
And his dad is the leader of the organization of which I am a part. <laughs> He's a general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. 4,500 churches throughout North America, millions of constituents around the world. The leader of that organization is sitting there, and the young man does a parody of his dad, and the place erupts in laughter. And in my opinion, he's probably the only person who could parody that man. Because <laughs> I would be fearful. I wouldn't do that in him personally. I wouldn't do that in a public setting. The respect, the honor, the regard. This guy has been involved in so many, many ways to advance the kingdom of God. He has helped us to facilitate an accredited uh, college and university system and a graduate school. He's helped us to facilitate now owning, perhaps by the close of sale, over 100 acres of campus for that school and for an a, uh, organizational headquarters. The guy is brilliant uh, financially and in terms of business. At one point, the man was suffering from the effects of a stroke, and while it was happening to him and his wife was dialing 911, there was no other person around, so he put his hand on his own head and said, In the name of Jesus, I call upon you. And the stroke left. When they did research, there were no records of a TIA. Nothing happened, and he's been healed ever since. He's a man of great giftings, a man that I sincerely respect and regard. And yet I sat there almost cringing as his own son started making a little parody about the way he uses words. Can you relate to what I'm saying? I'm thinking, I nobody going to tease that man in a public. I would never do that. I, of course, I understand family, and I recognize if anybody's going to make fun of me, it's going to be my own kids. So I understand that. It started happening when they were even young. We were getting ready to leave the house, and they were probably just still five, six, seven, eight years old. I remember one of them saying to me, Dad, are, are you wearing that? trying to help me out, saying things to me probably that few other people would say. Because you won't want to come across as being disrespectful. At least that's my opinion. Flying home last evening, one of the plane segments, there was a child behind me, a young man, probably seven, eight years old. And from the time they were coming down the aisle, I was thinking, man, I hope they don't sit near me. Man, I hope they don't sit near me. Because that boy was giving his parents the business. He was absolutely telling them what to do, where to go, and how to get off. Uh, he had them under his thumb. One of the adults was frustrated by the child's behavior, but the other one seemed to be defending the respect, this disrespectful child. When the plane landed and the gates and the door opened and we were free to, to get out of our seats, if you've flown, you know there's an etiquette to being on the plane. And everybody who's sitting in the front gets off first and you work your way back. And so we stood and I was probably 30 rows back. And this young man just begins to rant in a loud voice. Why aren't these people getting out of my way? Why don't these people move? Why don't they let me off the plane? And they're not discouraging him from this social inetiquette and I thought to myself it's going to be some miserable years ahead if they don't get a handle on helping that boy with authority and respect 
they're just going to remain frustrated and challenged, and society is not going to welcome that with open arms. Most folks don't want to be told what to do by an eight-year-old boy. Maybe you do. We choose our own. You know, I've had conversation with school teachers, one of them, my sister, and they're often frazzled and defeated by the attitudes that parents display towards school teachers. And not just that, but the parents display that attitude obviously at home because the children are displaying that attitude toward the school teachers. I remember a school teacher in one of our local school systems telling me about a bunch of 12-year-olds on a school bus just getting into outright rebellion and carrying on. The school bus driver could not drive safely and pulled over to the side of the road. And when he did, then 12-year-olds unloaded the emergency door in the back of the bus and started jumping out and just taking off and doing their own thing. And so the school bus driver had to call that in. They had to corral those students. Yes, one of our local school systems. And that got back to the school teachers. And at the end of the day, instead of parents saying, hey, listen, what happened there? What do we need to do? We appreciate you taking our kids to school. Parents lit into the teachers. What's wrong with the bus driver? Why didn't you guys let them out of that bus? Why didn't you let them just walk home? Why didn't you let them just live in rebellion? It's easy to see why there's lots of school teachers who are paid peanuts in a noble profession. They leave simply because of the continual disregard. person begins to say, why should I spend my life constantly being unappreciated and dismissed? You know what I'm talking about. We're living in a day with little regard for authority. We, we no longer respect business leaders, government leaders like we used to. We criticize, we attack any and all. We, won't, we used to say, well, we respect the office. Even if you didn't agree with the views of the leader, be it your manager, be it your CEO, be it your neighborhood representative, your city council, whatever. You, you respected the office. You recognized the burden they carried. You recognized they were serving a, a large group of people. And now in this day and age, everything is fair game. Offices are not regarded or only very little. This acceptance and prevalence of social media attacks have few the banality and with more frequency and more intensity these verbal barrages on leaders and authority to be and to be noticed now if you're going to join that movement of attacking authority your comments have to be increasingly vile to get forwarded and copied and communicated in a greater distance even when words aren't released by people and they're quiet in their rebellion, they carry an overt disregard for leadership. If you and I allow ourselves on our commute home every day, we can listen to commentators that will just tear down and obliterate people and ideas and opposition in such a way you're going to get home mad and angry. You're going to be angry on the road. You're going to be all fired up and stirred up all evening or all the next day. And I say to you, why? 
For most of us, there's very little action we can do with all of that anger. But our society is continuing to tear down authority, continuing to tear down leaders. And here's my thing. So how does that atmosphere that we live in seven days a week, how does that atmosphere, whether we're in it in the workplace physically or it impacts us over media, how does that atmosphere impact our attitude toward Jesus Christ? How does that atmosphere impact our faith, our, our approach to faith, our, our regard for the authority of God Almighty and for Scripture? If I spend all week long with the attitude, who are they to tell me what to do? What is that to be the ultimate authority? How does that attitude carry over when I sit in my chair in the morning and open the Bible? Is it possible it comes across to me, who does God think he is? Maybe not in that bold of language. But when the scripture provokes us, it gets me. Does it get you? But when the scripture provokes us and challenges us and inspires me to be more or different than the way I am, what do I do with that authority? How is the atmosphere of where we live impacting our professed service of the king. Now, these aren't outlandish concerns. Humanity has been guilty of these things previously. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. We're going to look through a lot of scriptures today, so you may want to make some notes. You may want to keep your Bibles handy. Humanity's been guilty of some interesting opposition toward Christ. In Psalm 2, we read about people who outright attacked the Lord. And the psalmist writes these words in Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why are the nations so angry? Well, that would just preach in today's news, wouldn't it? Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Verse 3, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. There it is. I don't want to follow, surrender, submit to the authority, the direction, and the power of God. I don't want him to ask anything of me. I don't want him to point me in a different direction. Who is he think he is? Let's break our chains. From the authority of God. But look at verse 4. Boy, as we are impressed with ourselves, the scripture says, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Our rebellion against him does not change who he is. Then in anger, verse 5, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. 
The Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them with clay pots. What's that all about? The Lord is saying, I will win. My will will be done. In verse 10, now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. The Bible records angry nations and leaders intentionally attacking the Lord and his people. And I I just remind us today from scripture without submitting, surrendering to the Lord's divinity, without placing him in his proper place in our lives, the anger of the Lord can flare in an instant and destruction can come in the middle of our ordinary activities. And perhaps what I just read, all of us would brush aside and say, man, I'll never act like that. That's not me. I'll never be there. I'll never get there. I'm not going to be outright disrespectful. I'm not going to do that. Even to these lesser things, I'm not going to do it. But I want us to understand that the Lord takes offense even to lesser forms of disrespect. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26, we read about folks who, who devalue God. I don't disrespect him. I don't attack him. I don't come against him, but I I devalue him. In Hebrews 10 and verse 26, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. What does that mean, sin willfully? I know the scripture says I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I understand the Spirit of God kind of challenging me and compelling me and saying, you probably should act differently. You probably should do this. Well, I don't want to do that. You probably shouldn't do that. Well, I don't want to do that. So with a knowledge, with an understanding of what God is asking of us, we make the determination, you know what? No, I'm just not going to do that. That don't fit with who I am. That don't fit with where I am in life right now. And we, we devalue God. Verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. Let me go back to 26. When we willfully don't follow what we know, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I mean, when I I do something wrong knowingly, that's not under the blood of Christ? No, it's not, because we know better. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. He's going to judge us. How do I get away from that judgment? Turn around. Repent. Do something else. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. and Do the best you can to follow after Christ. If we don't follow what we know, there's certain expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. 
want us to understand we cannot just devalue God and expect Him to just smile and take it. We can't just wink and nod at the instruction and guidance of God as He calls us closer to Himself, as He draws us nearer to the way He wants to bless and to lead, inspire our lives. If we push Him back, there's trouble. Verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Look at 29. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? The, the, the writer is letting us know that there is trouble when we make God common. We make His expectations ordinary. We insult His goodness and His grace in our life. Verse 30, we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge His people. 31, it is a fearful Thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I, I want us to be reminded today, you and I may not right, outright attack the Lord. We might not outright be like those nations and kings in Psalm chapter 2, uh, but there might be an indifference in our lives. There might be a, a categorical, well, I don't think that matters too much anymore. Well, I don't think that applies too much anymore. I don't think God expects that anymore when you and I begin to embrace a series of reasonings and excuses to keep God's instruction and design at bay in our life. We need to be reminded, I, I share this with concern, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. we would diminish the value of Christ's sacrifice, we need to be reminded of that. So I think about those who are absolutely against the Lord and attack Him and refute Him, and, and then those who diminish and devalue Him. But how does the Lord then express Himself to His people, to His followers? Does He still require respect? Is he still looking for reference, reverence? Look at Exodus chapter 19. The Lord is visiting the Israelites just after they have come out of and exited from the slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 19 and verse number 10, the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Verse 11, be sure they're ready on the third day. On that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Look at verse 12. This is an interesting passage. A friend of mine preached a tremendous message on this years ago. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. For all of us today, 
who would read or hear the, the calling, the instruction, the guidance of God's Word and think into our lives. What's the basis for that? Well, he's got no reason for that. Well, you've got to read this passage and wonder. Don't go up the mountain. Set a boundary. Steer clear. And if anybody crosses the boundary, they're to die. Now, if you talk about random instruction, there it is. And yet, he has authority to do that. Look at verse number 16. So here's the third day. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it from, in the form of fire. And the fire caused the smoke to billow into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently. Consider, my friends, what it might be like. I should have looked up the height of Mount Sinai. I'm not sure how tall it is. It may not be as tall as our Mount Baker or Rainier, but maybe one of our lesser mounts around here. Can you imagine standing at the foot of that mountain, uh, knowing and expecting God is going to visit us today? And rather than seeing warmth and sunshine and, and glowing and welcoming and this harps playing and angels floating and healing happen everywhere. Instead, there is lightning flashing and thunder crashing and fire comes from the heavens in such a way that the entire mountain is consumed in billowing smoke. In such a fashion, the people did what you and I would likely do, stand there trembling, thinking, is this the end for me? Verse 19, as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai, called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain, and the rest of the people said, Thank God he's going and not me. And the Lord expected preparation before that visit. And when he settled on to Mount Sinai and all of the theatrics of his power and his glory, that situation provides illustration for you and I in this New Testament life. Turn with me to Hebrews 12, the last passage of the day, and then we're going to exalt the Lord. Hebrews 12 and verse 18. Look what the Bible says. Now you folks here in the New Testament, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you have not come to a physical mountain. He's talking about Mount Sinai. You've not come to a place of flaming fire, of darkness, of gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. They heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. 
They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Pastor, you didn't read that in Exodus. That's correct. There are other references in Deuteronomy and the Old Testament I didn't take time to go to. But all these things are validated as happening then. Even Moses frightened at the sight. That's them. Verse 22 starts us. No, this isn't for you. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God Himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come, verse 24, to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Look at verse 25. Be careful. The mountain we have come to is significantly greater than Mount Sinai. The mountain that we have been allowed to approach is significantly more powerful, more gifted, more blessed than Mount Sinai. And the writer pens in verse 25, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Don't disrespect the voice of God. Don't disregard the voice of God. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Uh, hear it today. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now the Lord makes another promise. Once again, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And verse 28, the author summarizes his argument with this. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Listen, the Old Testament it was a shakable mountain. It was a place that could be disturbed. It was a place that could be moved. But in this new Jerusalem, in the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken. And in that powerful and divine provision by our holy God, the writer says, since we're receiving this amazing kingdom, let us be thankful and please God. How do I do that? By worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. 
uh, message today is simple and nearly complete. Hear me, that even the followers of our Lord and Savior, even those who love Him and are attempting to serve Him, even to those who would call themselves disciples, every now and then, the Lord of glory flexes His muscles and displays His grandeur and ignites His holy fire. I preach to remind us today, yes. Oh, he died for our sins. He sacrificed himself. Yes, he loves us. We ought to always thank God for his grace and his compassion and his desire for each of us. But hear me, our heavenly Father, the Lord of glory, is more than one-dimensional. His power and his glory demand our respect. His creation requires awe. Awe that, yes, can combine some dread and some veneration, some regard and wonder that is inspired by His authority and by the sacred. What are you saying, preacher? You're afraid of God. No, 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 no. But I will tell you this. I pause at His unparalleled authority and power. I pause at the greatness of our God. Yes, I can sing with the hymnist of old, what a friend we have in Jesus. But I will not reduce Him to common. I will not reduce Him to ordinary. Our God is a consuming fire. He is a devouring fire. His power is unparalleled. We've got to maintain godly reverence in an irreverent world. Our worship must never, our our praise, our surrender must never be frivolous. We gather into this place and clap our hands. It, It can never be happenstance. But always meaningful and reverent. We cannot approach Him as well. Take it or leave it. Hear me today. None of us can or should or will ever be heard if we make demands of God. Knowing His authority and His glory, we simply make requests. I know you can. Just asking if you will. I don't read any scriptures and declare, you got to do this. No, 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 no. I see, Lord, where you've done this before. And if it pleases you, I ask you to do it again. 
Yes, I hear a loving Savior saying, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. But that same God says, Vengeance is mine. He requires profound respect. In every view of Him, you and I, all who would follow Christ, must constantly remain impressed with Him. Yes, He is the Lamb. And I remind us today, He's also the Lion. Yes, He he laid down His life for each of us. But can I remind us all, He also had the power to raise it up again. Yes, He extends a hand of invitation to every human being. But He also unleashes the right hand of judgment when He has had enough. Yes, He rode in the dirt to save a woman's life. But He also carried a whip through a temple and threw tables everywhere to get the money changers out of His house. Covered Israel with a comforting cloud by day. But all through the night, His flaming fire burned in a presence and reminding of His glory. Yes, I feel His divine, incomparable love. But I also know His power supersedes any power humanity can derive. Put together all the nuclear warheads you will and it will not match the power of a holy God. Think of the heavens and a supernova. I know the one who created and empowers a supernova. The wise still fear him. In my service, in our service of him, there's there's always got to be a healthy dose of reverent fear. All of our heavenly rejoicing needs to include a mix of some healthy trembling. Our thanksgiving Our praise needs to incorporate holy fear and awe. Absolutely love Him. Embrace Him. Welcome Him. But I compel and remind us all today, respect Him. Revere Him. Honor Him. Hold him in high esteem. And right now in this house, in whatever way you want to express that to God, you want to sit, you want to stand, you want to kneel, you want to come to the front, however you want to express right now your reverence for a mighty, powerful God. Would you do that? I'm inviting everyone right now. Speak to him, share, communicate illustrate bring it into practical purpose right you've been listening to the living faith everett podcast series tune in next week for the next part of this series 
or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Flows in the Holy Ghost.